This is the Bodar Blast by the USS Decatur, with your host, Lieutenant Junior Raid, Daniel Earl. All views expressed on this show are not those of the United States Navy and made by the individuals who are on the show. All music used is used with the permission of the songwriter or is royalty-free. This is a feature production of the USS Decatur and is made free to use and free for all the families and supporters of the USS Decatur DDG-73. Holden Dare. And welcome to the Bodar Blast. I'm Lieutenant Junior Grade Daniel Ehrlich, and I'm happy that you can join us on our eighth episode of the podcast. And there's a lot going on, but also there's not a lot going on. And to say that um, every day is different, every day has something new, there's always work that needs to be done or business that needs to be conducted, but also you get into a routine on deployment and we're really getting into that routine about four and a half months ish into deployment really getting into that routine and so uh, really not too much new news to tell you about but I'm actually going to focus today's episode on the new things that have happened but also the routines that we all kind of get into on deployment um, and the new things that have happened, we've had people earn awards and new qualifications. So congratulations to our new officers of the deck, including uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Soret, uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade Guy, Lieutenant Junior Grade Navarro, and Lieutenant Junior Grade uh, Schmidt. All of them earning their officer of the deck qualifications. Uh, for all of the uh, junior officers on the ship, we're all trying to uh, work our way towards our surface warfare officer qualification. So it's just that that qualification, the officer to deck qualification, as a uh, as a watch station has a lot of responsibility tied to it, and so uh, it's a lot of work. It's a very long qualification, uh, and it uh, requires the captain's ultimate trust for you to be able to stand that watch as well as earn that qualification. So uh, probably the biggest hurdle to go over for getting your SWO pin. Uh, so congratulations to all of them, as well as uh, our Surf Pack uh, Sailor of the Year, possibly uh, doing his interview right now um, as we speak over in San Diego as FCA1. Uh, hopefully he does really well in the interview process, and uh, we wish him all the best. Uh, hopefully he's our uh, Surf Pack uh, Commander Naval Surface Forces uh, Pacific slash Commander Naval Forces, uh, Naval Surface Forces, uh, Sailor of the Year. Uh, he's worked really, really hard, just an extremely knowledgeable person, and uh, is the best, one of the best of the best in the biz, and uh, one of the, the, you know, the, the true showing of what uh, our Daring Raiders can do. Um, as well as just the team as a whole, um, everybody on this ship has been working really hard from watch stations to our sailors doing maintenance and making sure that all of our equipment uh, can stay uh, working in uh, maximum readiness. Uh, these last few weeks have been long, very, you know, lots of stuff going on as far as tasking goes. And so being able to rely on our team uh, and each other to make sure that our equipment is running in uh, the best shape possible, um, couldn't do that without everybody's hard work here. Um, some other goings on around the ship is that, uh, you know, everybody gets into kind of the snacks that they want for deployment. Um, and, 
the snacks that everybody wants for deployment are uh, in the ship store. So our ship store team has been doing amazing as well as the rest of supply and keeping us fed. So uh, they're always the best. And uh, and the ship store, I don't know, if anybody uh, out there that hasn't been in a ship store, our ship store specifically, when we're underway, uh, they serve all types of different snacks. Uh, it's, it's like a little convenience store on the ship. And so one of the really, really popular snacks, it's actually not even a snack, it's a drink, is um, is Georgia coffee. It's a canned iced coffee. Um, and then there's also uh, uh, milk tea. Uh, both are kind of big things out here in the Far East. And uh, everybody really, really likes them on this ship. And there's there's kind of a craze starting to go around about these things. So people are are really into it and uh, really love the milk tea and Georgia coffees. For me personally, I'm not super into it. Uh, I always get upset whenever the uh, the vending machine is empty um, because I'm very much a soda person. And everybody has to find their their source of caffeine in a way to keep them awake. Because uh, like I said earlier the, at the top. Um, is everybody gets into a routine. So you wake up every day, you go through your morning meetings, you get some work done, you go on the watch, um, and then you get some more work done in the afternoon, and then in the evening uh, you eat your dinner and then maybe get some more work done. For junior officers, we all study um, throughout the day, but also heavily in the evening. Um, and then for a lot of the crew, it's a time to relax, um, watch some Netflix, uh you know, take some time for yourself. And um, so often out here, um, you get so encompassed in the work and the studying that sometimes you forget to take time for yourself. Um, so personally, I think it's very important for everyone on this ship, regardless of who they are or where they're at, um, to be able to have that little bit of time to relax, decompress from the day, um, because guess what the next morning you wake up and you do the same thing over again and then over again and over again so uh from the mental health side of things and from just doing this over and over every day it's it's important that we continue to focus on giving our sailors healthy outlets to be able to uh decompress and find that that outlet for their their um for I, I call it a dopamine fix to get your dopamine fix for the day um, and uh, be able to find that peace. Um, I know some people find their peace out here by going outside and especially at night, you know, you look at the stars outside, it definitely puts it into perspective what we're doing out here. And uh, what we are doing out here is um, making sure that everybody, including you guys back at home listening to this, stay safe. Um, and we're proud to do what we do. Um, and I think that it's a representation of why we all join the Navy and what we do and the sacrifices we make for uh, what, we, what our goal is back at home, uh, the stories that we share on this podcast. And so I've got a really awesome uh, person on today for the interview to share his story of why he does what he does. Um, from down in engineering, uh, HT1 or Hall Technician First Class. Uh, Brandon Lee is going to be our interview guest today. Um, a little bit about Hall Technicians and Engineers. Uh, this will be our first engineer on the show, so uh, giving engineering a little bit of love. But it, it's a truly gritty uh, community down there in engineering. Uh, hard work, long hours, um, 
and tough conditions. Uh, if you ever get to go on a Navy ship underway um, and get to experience how hot it is in an engineering plant at sea, it is incredibly hot, it's incredibly uncomfortable, and it's tough work. So uh, to all the engineers out there that work, um, they, they work incredibly hard on our ship and they work incredibly long hours and uh, tough jobs. And I mean, it's not the cleanest job either. You're gonna get into the bilges, you're gonna clean the clean oil out of the bilges, you're gonna have to uh, you know, move oil, take oil samples, all of that. So it's, it's definitely not the cleanest job. But our hull technicians especially are working mainly in the general workshop and uh, HT1, Lee will talk about it a little bit more, but uh, uh, hull technicians are kind of our, our welders slash brazers slash really just the, the, the all-around carpentry and, and um, making sure that the ship itself, its, uh, its superstructure and the systems on it, um, including our sewage systems, uh, stay uh, in working order and, uh, and able to support 300 people constantly working on here because when you really think about it this is not just an office building of 300 people flipped on its side uh, and floating in the water but it's also a hotel <laughs> for 300 people um, at sea that also is flipped on its side and floating in the water so uh, to make sure that everybody is comfortable and the toilets stay working and everything like that um, that's what hull technicians do. Everybody has a misconception that hull technicians are the ones that uh, make your toilets go flush and that's it, um, but they do a whole lot more. So uh, I'm really, really excited for you all to listen to HT1 Lee's uh, uh, interview. Um, quiet person, but has a lot to share. And so uh, without further ado, HT1 Lee. And I'm here with uh, HT1 Brandon Lee, uh, hull technician first class, and uh, it's awesome to get you on, uh, HT1. Uh, it was a little bit of an adventure to get you on, a couple days uh, to, to try and work out our schedules and everything, you're a busy man, um, but it's really awesome to have you on, and uh, I know that people at home have been clamoring for you to come on, wanting you to come on, wanting to hear your story, so um, I'm, I'm really pleased to have you on. Um, I really enjoy talking to you um, in the few moments that we do have to talk. But um, I, I, have you thought about coming on the podcast before? Have you actually been on a podcast before? Never been on a podcast. It's been tough trying to get on here because been really busy. But I know a couple of buddies wanted me to come on your podcast. That's pretty cool. Got it. So as a hull technician, so let's start there. Um, you know, we haven't interviewed any engineers yet on this show, um, so not many people kind of have that that uh, outlook of what engineers do. So what, what does a hull technician do? Uh, so, hull technicians, uh, there's a lot of different fields you can go into as a hull tech. It's, uh, it's not the easiest rate, but it's very rewarding. Uh, you know, a lot of people think we just do uh, sewage and plumbing, but we do a lot more than that. We do a lot of welding, fabricating, sheet metal work, uh, carpentry, we even do upholstery, deck work, and lagging. We do all kinds of stuff. We're also uh, part of the damage control organization, and we do a lot of damage control um, from fire, flooding. Um, a lot of my guys do um, rapid response or 
respond to casualties. So we do a lot of stuff. Yeah, so you talked about welding and all of that. Um, I mean, welding's a, a, a trade that is, I would say, in, in, in the United States, from at least what I've read, is kind of on the, on the downtrend. There's not many welders in the United States right now. So it's cool to see uh, welding alive and well on this ship. What are some of the tools that you guys have? I mean, we're a very we're a small ship. So what what are some of the, some of the tools that you have available to you? Because that sounds like a lot. Yeah, on a bigger ship, you got a lot of machinery that you can use to cut material, fold material, bend material. You got all different types of machines, but when you come to a smaller ship, you're really limited on what you can do use to get the job done. But yeah, we still got everything we need. Uh, you know, we've got uh, angle grinders. We got welders, plasma cutters. Uh, so. So with all that equipment, I mean, there's a lot of safety parameters that have to kind of go into place, right? So what are are some of the kind of safety things that you have or or some of the safety just rules that you have to follow when you're working with all of this, like, heavy machinery? Um, So when working with machinery or welding or any kind of hot work, you do take a lot of safety precautions. Um, You're welding and... You don't have the right protections over your eyes you can literally melt your eyeballs so we have different types of uh, welding helmets and, uh, some that are fixed shade some that are auto uh, so that we, right when you start welding it automatically turns on um, we got we wear gloves and face shields stuff like that when we're grinding uh, every time we're doing hot work we have to have some kind of uh, fire watch making sure that uh, any adjacent space or anything in the space that you're doing hot work in, whether it's welding, grinding, brazing, cutting, um, that nothing in that space that has flammable, that could potentially be flammable, uh, catch fire. Um, uh, also the shop, we're uh, working on the lathe or on the drill press. We got um, little shields that kind of protect us. Um, it is a OSHA requirement, and then uh, what else do we have? Uh, we have all the safety markings. We got eye wash station. They say we get something stuck in our eye, whether it be uh, some kind of chemical or some slag in your eye, we can wash it out in the eye wash station. So such a such a dangerous field, right? And so, what did get you into becoming a hall technician? Why did you choose it? Well, to be honest, this is the only job that was offered to me. I didn't have that high of a ASVAB score. Uh, uh, I didn't have the best eyesight, so a lot of the aviation rates were off limits. And then, so I was trying to leave as soon as possible, and the only one they had available at the time was hall tech, and I took it. Yeah, so, I mean, do you enjoy what you do every day? I mean, it sounds pretty awesome to be able to say that you you do all this awesome high machinery kind of work. And, I mean, at the end of the day, is it like like a dream come true to you, especially as a person that enjoys working on on this kind of stuff? Uh, I mean, it's more of the people that I work with that I enjoy my job. A lot of knucklehead or 
Yeah, what? You'd say knuckleheads. Right, you're like, you're on a, you're on a podcast. You could say knuckleheads. But, uh, you know, make it memorable and they make it fun, so. Got a bunch of really good guys that work for me. Yeah, so what is it about the people that you work with? You know, what, what makes that something that keeps you going every day? Because I, I feel like you wake up every day and it's the people that drives you to do your job. It, it definitely does. It's a different type of people that I work with. They're not your average uh, sailor. They're, they can be a little salty, but they're very hardworking. They, uh, they don't mind working all day, all night, as long as uh, you know, they're having fun. So, yeah. so when, you, when you decided to get into the Navy, why, why did you decide to go into the Navy? What really kind of pushed you to want to go into the Navy? Um, I got married really young, and um, I didn't want to go back to my hometown. And so I moved to Montana and tried to get a job out there. And there really wasn't any work at the time that I moved to Montana. So. I enlisted in the Navy. I actually was going to join the Army at first, but, you know, they only offered me, I think it was janitorial specialist, and that didn't seem too uh, appealing to me, so <laughs> I went across the hallway, talked to a Navy recruiter, and uh, they offered me hall tech, which sounded way cooler, you know, welding and all that kind of stuff. So, you, you lived in Montana for a little while, so what made you want to move to Montana? I mean, not every day, every day, it's like, yeah, I'm going to move to Montana. It's probably beautiful out there. Well, my girlfriend, my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time, she had family that lived in Montana, and decided to stay with them for a little bit. We ended up getting our own place. So it was a move out of love, I guess, for moving to Montana. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, where in Montana did you move? Like, what did you what did you do? Uh, we lived in Missoula, and um, weren't there long. We were there for about two months, and couldn't find a job. Uh, I don't really know what was going on at that time, but no one was hiring. So, I ended up depping in, uh, I think it was Butte, Butte, Montana, and then, yeah. I'm sure, it, it was probably really beautiful out there, I don't know if you're like a big hiking person and stuff like that. Oh yeah, it was definitely beautiful, it had all the snow, uh, mountains, small town. Yeah, so, when, when you moved, um, and all of that, did you ever have like the, the thought that you were ever going to join the Navy? Like, did it ever really? Oh yeah, I mean, as a kid, I, I had the GI Joes. I watched all the Rambo movies and stuff. But uh, you know, I always liked the military kind of stuff. But uh, as I got older, I didn't think I was actually going to join the military. I thought about it. I talked to the recruiter in high school. 
because I never went through with it. And then when I was 20, going back to the recruiter and actually went through with it. So yeah, now you're here. So how long have you been in? Uh, I've been in 10 years. Going uh, back in 2013, I was stationed on the Nimitz from 2013 to 2018, and then I uh, was stationed at ACU-5, Camp Pendleton, from 18 to 2020. And then here, so you kind of moved across the strike group in a few uh, short years, which is pretty awesome. So. The, is it is it kind of funny to you kind of looking across at the Nimitz sometimes when we're working with her? Yeah, it is. It is kind of it's kind of cool because a lot of the guys that I that I came up with in the Navy uh, on the Nimitz, uh, they're back on the Nimitz. So my my first class, you now the, uh, the LCPO over on the Nimitz, and then same with one of the DC ones. He's the He's a DCC over on the minutes as well. So, yeah, like, and so talking about DCs and all of that, damage control, big thing to you, you were damage control for, uh, training team coordinator, DSET coordinator for a long time on the ship, uh, and you still work very heavily with DC uh, and DSET. So what is it like kind of working in the damage control sphere and running drills and being a coordinator of a, a massive warfare. Uh, it's, it could be stressful, honestly. Um, uh, coordinating uh, DSAT training, DSAT drills, and if you guys that don't know what DSAT is, it's just uh, a training team where we train the crew how to fight casualties, whether it be fire, flooding, toxic gas, even CBR. Um, so that's basically what, what we do at DSAT. But it, it can be challenging because uh, we got such a tight schedule. We're getting ready for inspections. We get uh, uh, multiple repairs in a day, and then you got to run a drill. And the, the drills can uh, take up a lot of time in the day, especially when you have to be still. But it's for the benefit of the crew. Um, part of deployment, we did a lot of drills, um, making sure the crew was ready to go before we deployed. And then uh, even on deployment, we have to stay proficient, so we're always running drills. Uh, so it takes a lot. It takes a lot of our, t our day, but uh, it's for the benefit of the crew. So why why to you is damage control so important? As somebody that's kind of really in damage control, why is it important, and why should people really know about it? Uh, so they say that every sailor is a firefighter. So in the event that something does happen, it's all hands on deck. Uh, if we have a fire, we shouldn't just rely on just one rate to combat a fire. Um, uh, everyone should be should know exactly what to do. Uh, no one's going to come save us. It's, uh, we're out here on our own. Being able to take care of ourselves. And so, uh, what has been kind of the most, I would say, damage control in drills is exciting and thrilling, but in, in a real kind of situation, what's kind of been the most thrilling or, or terrifying moment of your career as far as damage control goes? Uh, I think dealing with toxic gas is uh, something that's kind of stuck with me for a while because as a hall tech, 
we deal with sewage a lot and um, as a byproduct of sewage, uh, when the organic matter deteriorates, it forms a hydrogen sulfide and uh, high parts per million, it can be uh, pretty lethal actually. Now, when I was on the Nimitz, um, we were all uh, exposed to it quite a few times. Uh, in the yards, uh, we had contractors pumping down our uh, our sewage tanks, and they had a thing called a whiz bang. It's a like a portable pneumatic pump, and it was pumping down our, our tanks. But uh, I don't know what happened, but over a weekend or something, as the tanks are empty, but um, they had some. Some, something left in the pumps and after the whole weekend of sitting in the pump it created H2S or hydrogen sulfide and I think it was like close to 50 parts per million uh, and I lost my sense of smell and uh, we all got out we all got out of the space and I still can't really smell that well today because of it so yeah, I mean, you smell the rotten egg smell sometimes, and you're like, eh, you know, it, it happens from time to time, but that's terrifying. Yeah. Losing your sense of smell is like, so it, it, it's still, like, partially gone from that? Yeah, it never came back. Oh, it's, it, I can smell, but it's very faint. If someone was to cut the cheese, I, I probably wouldn't even notice it. So you don't even smell yourself when no. you're just like, it's a bad... Bad taco day and yeah, like yeah, bad taco day. It's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that uh, you and the guys like mess around with each other sometimes. So what are some like the the, the funniest moments that you've spent with, with the guys on this ship? You guys have a really strong, tight connection with each other. Yeah, we do. We we like to horseplay a lot. We like to keep it live because uh, you know it gets a little stressful out here, and sometimes the only way to unwind is. Uh, goof off a little bit, so I'd be so uptight, but uh, as far as uh, one of the funnier times I've had was, uh, there's a guy, uh, DC2 Bashirs. I don't know if you remember him. If, if he's listening out there, I hope you're doing it well, Bashirs. Yeah, DC2 Bashirs. he was one of a kind, for sure. Um, he, he was a character, he uh, played the harmonica, he liked to sing, and had deep voice. This guy could do the worm. Uh, he was a man of culture. One yeah, time. he did all kinds of stuff. But uh, uh, I think Bashir uh, stands out to me the most as far as uh, one of the more memorable people, as well as uh, you know my boy DC Two Piggett. You know, uh, we had some good times, uh, especially when the times got rough during inspection. We, we made uh, made it work. So yeah, and so. When times do get rough, or like you need a break or need to relax, especially on deployment, what's what's kind of like, what's your go-to like thing to do on deployment to just chill out and take a little bit of time off? Well, to be honest, uh, after my watch, I get off watch at like uh, twenty-one forty-five. I'll go down to the shop, check my email. And I'll put on Sons of Anarchy. I'm watching Sons of Anarchy. So that's the show you're watching right yeah, now? Yeah, I'm watching Sons of Anarchy right now. 
So, what, what got you into that show? Did you watch a show previously to that? Do you just like go through shows? Um, so I have a hard drive, and all these uh, shows and uh, movies I got, I got on my first deployment in 2016. And I've actually watched Sons of Anarchy probably like three or four times already. But the shop's pretty interested in it, so I'm kind of having a shop marathon. Oh, okay. So like a, a, a group kind of group watch kind of thing. Yep. Nice. It's a nice way to kind of, you know, get with the boys, watch a little bit of Sons of Anarchy before hitting the rack, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So after the Navy, are, are you wanting, like, is this kind of a career thing for you? Are you 10 years in, like, you're, you're going strong. Do you want to become a chief petty officer? Like, is this kind of what you want to do? I actually would like to go warrant officer. Um, I do want to make chief and eventually put on warrant officer and really specialize in one area um, and uh, get paid for it. Yeah, so warrant officer, what, for everybody at home, what, what what's kind of different about a warrant officer? So uh, the chief warrant officer, they were prior enlisted. Uh, prior chief and now they are a commissioned officer who specializes in a certain field so from what I've been exposed to uh, on a bigger platform and on a short facility uh, typically a warrant officer for my division would be a repair officer uh, it's, it's a lot smaller here on a destroyer but on a repair facility or on a bigger platform like a, a, a K aircraft carrier they actually do a lot, um, a lot of stuff. So, um. yeah. So, after after the Navy, what what's kind of your dream after the Navy? What, what's your passion of what you want to do? Um. So after the Navy, I'd like to start my own dog training business or uh, dog dog breeding uh, some dogs. I actually bred some dogs. I had King Corso, and I had my first litter last year. That was pretty successful. I also like training dogs. So what, can you, what got you into dog training? Is that like one of your hobbies that you kind of picked up over time and you grew up around dogs? I grew up around dogs my whole life. Um, but as far as the dog training, um, I didn't really get into that until I had my last dog. Um, she was kind of out of hand and I didn't know how to handle her. But after watching a few YouTube videos and getting an actual professional dog trainer, I learned it wasn't that hard to train a dog, and uh, it's something I actually enjoy to do. That's awesome. So you basically kind of just DIY'd it a little bit. Yep. That's awesome. That's a that's a really cool hobby that you can kind of get into after the Navy. So one last question before we go, um, and I think everybody kind of wants to know this kind of thing. Um, you guys deal with, uh, I, I, I call it bring your lunch pail. So a little bit of bring your lunch pail segment because you guys do kind of the, the hard work. I, I look at your hands right now, cut up, you know, you got you got the freaking the grit on them and everything and um, just kind of bring your lunch pail guys gritty. You do the work, you go, go to your rack at the end of the day, you work with sewage, you work with uh, high heavy machinery. So what's kind of the, the, the grossest or toughest moment you've dealt with? in your time in the Navy as an HT? Uh, so many. Uh, I was on the Nimitz. It was uh, in a yard period. 
and we were there was a piping that was clogged, backed up the one of the heads. So we went uh, one deck below, and there was a clean out, which is just a cap that's connected to the pipe, where we can either put a snake or something, uh, a way to unclog the pipe. And when we took the cap off, there was a uh, uh, I don't know, some kind of solid material. It was something, but I poked it with a screwdriver, and it started slowly coming out on its own, almost like soft serve ice cream. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, it was uh, pretty <laughs> disgusting. And then after like a couple seconds, it just exploded. It just started rushing out of the pipe and I had to try to put the cap back on as fast as I could so I was going to float out the space <laughs> and uh, I was in the overhead in the angle iron and I was trying my best to thread this on but I couldn't uh, so when my friends got up there and he tried to tighten it up he couldn't get it so I went back up there and I finally got the cap threaded back on and when I was all said and done, and I looked behind me, and my friend, uh, he had a big turd on his head. <laughs> yeah. The poop shoot. <laughs> it yeah. just all came out. <laughs> yeah, I got pictures of that. It was, it was a good time. That's that's something you can get out of the Navy and be like, hey, I, I, I've been through this. I've been, yeah. I've been through this. Yeah, so. they, they call it a baptism. <laughs> baptism by, yeah. I'm not going to say the word, the S word, but yeah. But, hey, I appreciate it, HG1, for coming on, sharing a little bit about uh, your career, what you've done, what's it like to be an engineer, and some of the fun stuff. I never knew you were in the dog training, so I learned something new about you every day. And uh, I appreciate you coming on. All right, thanks, sir. Appreciate thanks. it. And thank you, HT1 Lee, uh, for coming on the podcast, uh, our eighth episode and our eighth guest, and so much more to go after that. Um, my goal is to get everybody on the ship, uh, though that'll be really hard, but uh, I'm really glad and really excited at how far this podcast has come. Um, to all the sailors on USS Decatur that listen, um, thank you for listening, and, and uh, thank you for passing on the word of this to your families, and for all the families and supporters of USS Decatur that listen. Um, I hear almost daily from your, uh, from your family members that are sailors on board, uh, that so-and-so listens to this show or so-and-so listens to this show and loves it. And um, my goal for this show, as I've said in the past, is to make sure that the stories of your family members and friends get out. That's the goal of this. And so that everybody continues to enjoy Bodar Blast, uh, that that means so much to me. Um, and so hopefully uh, we continue creating episodes in, well into the future. I know this was a shorter episode this week. Don't worry, we've got more programming coming very shortly. We've got some really cool segments coming up, um, but Assemble. really Please has not been much going on right now, so really has not been much going on right now, so there will be a whole lot more to share very soon. I hope that you join me then on our 9th, 10th 11th and so on episodes and uh, from the USS Decatur I'm Lieutenant Junior Grade Danny Ehrlich thank you for joining me on the Bodar Blast I'll see you next time <laughs>